0: you were there to help me out you just saw the need and said can i help you we learn a lot from watching other horses and watching other riders i'm julie goodnight and thanks for listening to my podcast about horse training and equestrian sports it's time for ride on with julie goodnight since the last time we recorded I basically hit the ground running from mid-September on on a series of back-to-back clinics. I started with a four-day ranch riding program at the Sea Lazy U Ranch in the mountains of northern Colorado. We had 42 riders participating in that program. This ranch riding program is the most active of all the clinics I do at Sea Lazy U with four riding sessions a day plus workshops at night. And I went straight from that clinic to the Denver airport, literally, where I flew the red eye to Dublin, Ireland, and met up with my dear friend T. Cody, who just so happens to be a guest on today's episode. T. and I spent two weeks in Ireland. We had two different groups of riders each week. And today we're going to share our highlights from the trip and give you some behind the scene glimpses of an international riding vacation. I was only home from Ireland for one night before heading right back up to Sea Lazy U for another group of 42 riders for the Ranch Riding Adventure Program again. And in spite of coming home from Ireland with a little bit of a cold and a lot of jet lag, we really had a great time at that clinic as well. We had some beautiful fall weather. For my final clinic of the year, the Horsemanship Immersion Program, I've been really working hard on this Power packed schedule with this program. It includes horse behavior, equitation, groundwork. We do hands on veterinary workshops, saddle fitting, bidding, plus a ton of trail riding in the Rocky Mountains. So it's a fabulous program, another power packed five day program there. And that will finish out the year for me. It's been a pretty busy year. I've made up for a lot of the travel that we lost out on in. 2020 and 2021. To be honest, I'm hoping to find a slightly slower pace next year, but I've already actually got several horse expos and clinics booked. For more information on my clinics, horse expos, and riding vacations, please visit juliegoodnight.com events. And while you're there, check out my online training resources, memberships, and personalized coaching programs. Plus, we've got innovative grooming tools, tack bits, training equipment, and videos at shop.juliegoodnight.com. If you want the latest updates from me, be sure to sign up for my newsletter at juliegoodnight.com/news, and be sure to check out my Five Pound Challenge Facebook group. It's a supportive community where we talk about exercise, getting and staying healthy, and we share motivational tips. Updates and success stories. Find it at facebookcom groups challenge. You can also find me on Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, and YouTube at Julie Goodnight. In this episode of my podcast, you'll meet my dear friend T. Cody. We've worked together off and on for the last 25 years since we first met at a horsemanship clinic at the home ranch near Steamboat Springs, Colorado. We'll talk about our fabulous trip to Ireland, the travel logistics, the horses, where we rode, what we ate, and what we learned about the amazing people and the horses in Ireland. Then we'll talk about T. Cody's recent acquisition of a young sport horse and the ordeal she went through finding the right horse. We'll talk about the plans for this horse and how to develop its training. Before we get started talking about Ireland, I'd like to introduce my dear friend
1: and colleague, T. Cody. T., welcome to the show. Thank you for having me, Julie. I'm super excited to be here and talk about our fabulous trip to Ireland. Well, I'm happy to
0: have you, too. And before we get started on that, I want to kind of share with people how we first met at the Home Ranch in Colorado. Is that what you
1: remember? Yes. Uh, being a wrangler at the uh, Home Ranch in Steamboat Springs. And um, natural horsemanship or all horsemanship was just top of the billboard there. Every They brought in all kinds of instructors and clinicians, and they wanted us to be the best we could be. So they brought you and CHA in to have us all certified.
0: Yeah, you know, I first came there as a guest and just, I think, just barely met you. And I was kind of blown away at the program. That was during the PMU breeding craze, and you guys were taking a lot of young horses uh, down from Canada and training them. He's kind of unhandled horses in some cases, really nice horses, but unhandled. So you guys were getting a bunch of young horses, doing a lot of training, having some top brass clinicians come in there to offer uh, clinics to the guests and give you guys training as well. So I remember being really envious of what a cool job you had. And um then we got to know each other through instructor certification program that I did up there. And gosh, do you know how long ago that was? 25 years? Could
1: be. Could be. Yeah, we we really are that old. <laughs> yes. Indeed. I know. I hate, so, it I'm sad that I can say anything is 25 years ago now, but probably something like that. Yeah it was. And I remember we were so nervous to be having to teach a formal lesson in front of instructors and being rated about how we were giving our lessons. That was terrifying. Yes. Well, there's nothing easy about
0: a CHA certification clinic. They're very significant clinics and very meaningful, but quite a lot to endure. And I actually remember being very impressed by your teaching ability I was always very impressed by your horsemanship ability, both on the ground and in the saddle. You're such an elegant rider. Um, you look so nice on a horse being tall and slender and the perfect athletic build for a equestrian. And uh, But I that doesn't count for much in terms of getting instructor certification. You still have to teach a really good lesson and come across clearly and uh, safely and effectively. That's that's what we certify. So, I think you did pretty well that clinic, didn't you? Get a fairly high rating right out of the
1: box there. I did. I yeah. was very and I to be honest, I mean, that was I was very proud of that because it was really sort of the first this was formal and it meant a lot to me.
0: Yeah, it's formal and um an objective third-party certification. Then we just I don't know, right away we really became friends and we found out we had some common friends going back to Kauai. Actually, I, well, I remember when I met you, discovering you were from Kauai, and and we ended up with
1: some strong mutual friends that we still have today, right? Yes, that's true. Well, what I grew up on Kauai, and the Carswell family that owns the Princeville Ranch, where I was my first job as a wrangler there, well, I used to save up my dollars and uh, buy a trail ride for $7 when I was about 11 <laughs> years old. That's how much it costs for an hour ride. But I and I went on to learn horses by being, they were my neighbors and their their children are all my age. And so I grew up with them and that's how I got into horses, thankfully. I, I don't know what would have happened if they weren't my neighbors. And um So I worked there and I was doing, you know, half the year at Steamboat. Came back after being certified with you. I said, We have got to get certified. We have to get Julie Goodnight here. We got to get the facility certified, everything. And uh, that, and it went from there. So then, then I think that on top of the horsemanship aspect of our relationship, where I looked up to you as a mentor. Hawaii kind of added a few other things that we liked about life and adventure together too.
0: We also share a love of the ocean and stand up paddling and a lot of fun things. And then we became fast friends over the years. Uh, Also included in that friendship is my husband, Rich. And then we were helping me a lot on the TV show through the years whenever i could get you on the shoot as my assistant trainer it was really a relief to me because the way we ran the show was so specifically formatted and the people would come with their problem or issue that they wanted to work on with their horse and i would set them on a course of practice and i could always count on you to help them through whatever and sometimes they were really challenging um issues
1: we were dealing with. Yep. And I can chuckle to myself a little bit thinking about some of them that were pretty entertaining along the way (laughs) to the trailering episode in Arizona being drug around the uh, outside of the Yeah, you were on camera being (laughs) drug around on that. Drug around. (laughs) Yeah. 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 After being told do not let go of that lead rope. But
0: well, that there was is, an example of a horse that had a serious problem of ripping and running, bolting, you know, ripping the rope out of your hands and bolting, and nobody told us about it. And so, you know, the first time it caught us off guard, second time caught us off of guard again, that was a big thoroughbred off the track, I think. Yes, And he, uh, when he changed his mind, when we when we were able to stop him from running, ripping and running, he went from throwing the biggest yeah, walleye yeah. fit you ever saw to just kind of standing there for about 30 seconds and putting his head down and just walking straight in the trailer.
1: And you know what? But it reminds me, we've been traveling. We had horses being hauled back and forth in Ireland. And people think that trailer loading is has to be difficult or has to be challenging or it's magic if you make it work, you know, and I see it all the time and I'm appreciative to know that if you just take the right steps, everything works out pretty well.
0: Well, it's a lot we ask of horses to get inside a metal box. And, you know, I think about when we were in Ireland, we were, let's see, we had nine riders and then T and I would be riding and usually at least one, maybe two guides. So we had... Thirteen horses or so hauling around, I think 14 the first group and 13 the second group. And for two days each week, we're hauling these horses around the countryside, stopping in an open field, completely devoid of anything but grass. So no place to tie um, with all those horses. (laughs) And then we'd have to unload them, tack them up, get everybody mounted, and then off we'd go. It, it was quite a production. But by the end of the second week, we had it dialed in, didn't we?
1: Yeah, yeah, we did. We, we, by the by, the end of the second week, we were all working. Uh, we were all doing our parts and being guides and making it happen. Yeah. But, and fortunately,
0: also the second group, we
1: had a lot of horse owners
0: that were pretty comfortable on the ground with horses and tacking yeah. them up and all that. So that really helped. But let's let's talk before we get too far into the program itself. Let's talk a little bit about the tour group that we went with. Now, the formal name of this group is Connemara Equestrian Escapes. We were catered to and bussed around by the proprietor of the Connemara Equestrian Escapes. And um, she is a woman by the name of Koch Goley. And this was our second time coming to Ireland on her tour the first time was in, was it in 2018? Yes. I think is when we went before. Mm-hmm. And we, T, you went as a guest. I went along with my husband, Rich, as a host of the tour. So that was a fun time. And we had such a great time. Then that Koch invited us back. And this time I wanted to take somebody as an assistant who could help me with the instruction and whatnot. So I recruited T. Cody to come with me to Ireland for this go around. Now, this time we were on two different six-day tours. It was early afternoon when we got there, I think, three or four in the afternoon. Mm -hmm.
1: So So we we walked around. around
0: Galway is a fabulous little town. We um, were there before. We spent a night or two there before so we walked all around, went down to the waterside, and we looked at every single restaurant and pub to see who we thought had the best menu. And then we had a lovely dinner and and we crashed. And so the time difference is challenging, you know, always. But when you take the red eye, and if you can get a little bit of sleep on the flight over, which I did cause I confess I'm spoiled and I had a lie down. So you arrive at 10 o'clock in the morning. And even though it's, um, you know, your time frame is all screwed up, you're energized by being there and it's not that hard to stay awake through the day. And then we crashed early that night and got a pretty good
1: night's sleep. And we met Koch at 1.00. So yeah, and, and that was one of the things that I was a little star beside. Um, one of the things I really like about the program was um, that everybody meets up in the lobby of this very Irish old hotel, and Koch suggests you have some tea and scones while you wait. So when you walk into the lobby, you look around and you see everybody sitting, you know, in their di- different little places, and you try to decide who looks it's like a the bustling horse person. lobby yeah
0: <laughs> yeah <laughs> full of people coming and going and people seated on couches and yeah that is yeah. kind of fun, so we arrived yeah. at the meeting place early, and we immediately start looking around. Does that look like a horse person? Does that look like a horse yeah. person? Oh, yeah, she's carrying boots, a boot bag, or whatever, <laughs> yeah. and uh or has on a riding coat and uh so that was kind of fun, so then we meet up with our people. Koch picks us up in the van. Now it's a pretty big touring van. Um, uh, there's only what, there was 11 of us plus the driver, Koch. And, um, I'm going to say that was a easily a 20 passenger, um, mm-hmm. bus that we were touring mm-hmm. around in very yeah. comfortable. And she picks us up, takes us, um, uh, we drive through the countryside towards her farm. We stopped in the small town of Moy Cullen which is the closest town to her farm, right? Mm-hmm. We get to go to the grocery store, which is fun. So you're kind of first arriving in Ireland. I think it's super fun to go to a little community grocery store in a foreign country and just look at how different everything is and what's the same. And uh, so you go to the grocery store and there's a little coffee shop and stuff, so you can get whatever. Uh, there's a pharmacy, um, so anybody that needs... Certain supplies, or if you want to buy a bottle of wine or whatever. And then it's off to the farm. And so the program is a six day program, six, let's see, five nights. Is that right? Or six nights? Six Six nights. nights. Mm -hmm. Yes. And the first four nights, we stay there at the farm. There's a beautiful uh, farmhouse that is. Uh, it looks like a, a beautiful old Irish estate, but it's actually a modern home made to look like uh, uh, like it be- had been there for generations. Uh, but it's actually built as a um, guest house, uh, like a and b So it's got, I don't know, six bedrooms, I think, and mm-hmm. quite a few bathrooms. We stayed there the first time we came in 2018. This time... You and I had our private quarters in a little, um, well, we were calling it a tiny home. It actually is bigger (laughs) than a tiny home, I think. Yeah. (laughs) But it was a a little two-bedroom cottage. Um, And that was awesome. It was right uh, overlooking the arena, which overlooks this huge lake. And um, so we spent the first... Four nights there at the farm. So the on the first day after we get picked up, we go to the grocery store, and then there is uh horses are assigned to people, and there's sort of a, a required uh riding orientation that they go through with the horses. And then then they kind of turned it over to T and I to lead the group and entertain the group and teach the group what we will. And uh, so that first day, and then I think we went
1: on a trail ride, uh, didn't we? I don't know if we did it that first day because it was raining, but we did do the assessment in the oh, arena right. and all of that.
0: Yeah. That's right. <laughs> so, it was um, raining. Yeah. 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 And we got yeah. a little bit of rain, um, you know, on both trips. One, The second week, we had one whole day that just was torrential rains. But th- to be honest, that was one of my favorite days because, for one thing, we got to take a tour across the most incredible countryside, driving across the countryside in this really comfortable bus, all together having a good time. And we ended up at the Kylemore Abbey, and that was and it stopped raining right when we got there, and that was an exquisite place. And I'm not sure we would have been able to go there if we hadn't have had such such
1: rain that day right right well that was um that was what was there was many things that were different about both groups group group 1 and group 2 they didn't do all the same things the itinerary was not the same but it was flexible according to what people were really interested in but also the weather so the first group well t- you know the first group would have stayed at the farm and done horse things from sunup to sundown and just sat and chatted with you about horses the whole time. They were not interested in going to see a castle or doing anything. They just wanted to do horses and hang out and have a good time. And then, so they didn't get to go to the Abbey. In fact, they said, no, we don't want to go to the Abbey. We want to do groundwork with Julie. (laughs) And so we did that. But then the second group, there was different weather conditions and they did have a list of a lot of the uh, cultural things that they wanted to do. So the rain allowed for uh, a full day of touring. And whereas the first group, instead of going to the Abbey, we had a group obstacle competition day, which, <laughs> which they loved. Yes. And I loved.
0: Yes. <laughs> Actually the two weeks went off in some ways they were the same. So the, the, the skeleton of the program, the, the, the main Key events like riding on the beach, where we go to um, on the beach. So the first four nights at the farm, the second two nights are on the coastal village in an uh, in a, at a resort on the coastal village um, called Clifton, and that's would be the west coast of Ireland, the farthest west reaching coastline of Ireland. And so the you know the basic travel logistics were the same for both groups. But the makeup of each group were quite different. Both groups consisted of nine women. The first group, many, um, maybe all, no, a couple of the women came together. The rest of the women came as individual solo travelers. I think they really liked being with Koch. They liked learning about the real people, uh, the -the behind-the-scenes people, the horses uh, of Ireland. So they were just interested in different things. And then they were a very fun-loving and adventurous group. So we, we just, we kind of operated spontaneously with that group. And we would just kind of say in the morning, Hey, what do you guys want to do today? Anybody want to do a lesson in the arena? And like, nah, let's go on a trail ride. Okay. Let's go on a trail ride. And then, um, and then we ended up working with Koch's Young Horses in the arena doing a little bit of groundwork. And then the second group also made up of nine women. They came more as, let's see, there was a group of four and a group of three. And two. And two, yeah. So they were, was sort of already partnered up. I would say we still really bonded well as a group. And also a, a lot of those people had not, uh, some of them had not done a lot of international traveling for a few people. It was a, their first time out of the United States. And so, of course, they were more interested in seeing the castle and seeing um, Calmore Abbey and things like that. So it was really fun because every everybody's personal needs are totally catered to. In fact, T and I had a standing joke to and, you know, be careful what you say around Koch, because if you just say, oh, you know, I wish I had a
1: Kleenex. Next thing you know, the whole room would be full of boxes of Kleenex or whatever. Um, it's an example yeah. of Koch. If you mention just anything, uh, you know, one person said they wanted to go to the castle, then we added the castle in. Whatever. Somebody liked dogs. She'd add She'd add some extra dog place into the tour because we went to sheep herding then we'd make that a little bit longer so i mean she yeah that's what makes it so unique and such a really intimate and special tour is is her not just her attention to detail for you it's how she fits into everything there everybody knows her she helps everyone everyone helps oh, everybody her. in the whole country
0: knows her <laughs> the whole everybody in t- county galway anyway <laughs> and yeah And if you're with Koch, you're okay. (laughs) Yeah. And if you're with Koch, they like you by default. Actually, the (laughs) Irish people like everyone. They're so friendly. Um, Let's talk a little bit about the horses we rode. Now, this whole thing is called Connemara Equestrian Escapes because it is in the Connemara region of Ireland, where, of course, Connemara ponies rule the day. So Connemara ponies and Irish draft horses originate from this area of Ireland and they are quite proud of them, I would say. And, and with good reason, they're, they're uh, cool horses. What, how, how would you describe the
1: Connemara's that we rode T? Well, I think it was really fun that we had all gray horses. That was kind of a a fun little detail, even though Connemara's can be other colors. Yeah. Yeah. Um, But boy, and you can see it looking out our window at Koch's and you see her young horses that are out in the field and the fields ha- are fenced or walled stone walled on three sides, but they open up into the lake or the lach, and it's rocky on the way down to the water. Lough. And those horses just her. learn lach uh, The horses just learn to just peck their way down there and, climber all over the rocks and through the bogs and they are hardy. And, you know, one morning you and I woke up and looked out the window and it was pouring and gusting sideways. And all our horses we could see outside the window were just at the feeder, just like just another day in Ireland. They weren't, you know, I, I would imagine Heads my horses in the at hay home Just be, like
0: when the weather was yeah, good.
1: <laughs> just like, just like a normal day. So they're they're hardy yeah. and they're pretty unflappable. They're real Steady, you know she she starts off with some of her young horses going out on these uh, rides, and um, it's pretty impressive. Keep in mind there aren't really that big
0: of extremes there. It it's cold and wet, and in the winter it's a little bit colder. and In the summer it's a little bit less cold, <laughs> but you don't have big swings of temperature. Um, and and they do have, especially the coastal regions. Of course, you know gales and. Uh, high winds and stuff added with the rain can be um, uh, some hardy weather to endure. And so the Connemaras, the terrain they grow up in and the conditions that they live in make them quite hardy. Also, like you say, unflappable. Uh, The temperaments of these horses are really good. Uh, They're, of course, all ridden English. and. One thing I really noticed when I came back, and I was only home one day before I went back to Sea Lazy U, and I was standing in the middle of uh, Horses and Happy Hour, which we do out in the mountain meadow with 200 horses surrounding you. And at Sea Lazy U, there's every shape, size, type, color, age of horse anyone could imagine. Uh, Every breed is represented. Um, 200 riding horses to just get that many riding horses, uh, you have to kind of reach into every corner of the horse market, and particularly because they need so many big horses. But it, it it really struck me how the whole time we were in Ireland, we pretty much only saw Connemaras, Irish drafts, um, and the gypsy horses.
1: Yeah, that's it. There's not not much, not much more than Diversity. that. I never saw. No, and. <laughs> and and that's kind of their their attitude about it too is that this is how we do it and everyone kind of has ridden whether you are a, you're not a horse person everybody's grown up riding a horse and could probably just hop on a horse and ride down to the pub if they needed to and yes. it's just part of the party riding too
0: <laughs> a lot of hunting yeah. and uh yeah rugged trails rugged terrain so yeah, yeah. so the um you know on the tour six-day tour Four days at the farm, what we do is we only ride for you know a couple of hours in the morning. Um, sometimes that's trail riding. sometimes we did a little bit of, of a lesson in the arena before we went on the trail. Uh, we rode through some really pretty Irish countryside and then the afternoons were usually occupied by uh, well the first day we went and went to see a sheepdog. Demonstration and he talked about the training of the border collie and gave it an example of uh, how he worked the sheep. And that was super fun. I know you like that, T.
1: I could, yes, I could do that every day. <laughs> In fact, I was, I had to stop myself from taking one of the puppies home. Oh, yeah, that was a near
0: crisis <laughs> when uh, we thought T was going to, we were actually looking into the price of shipping a dog home and uh fortunately she came to her good senses and uh we discovered we decided the dog would be better off staying in ireland so yeah that was a lot of fun and then you know touring the castle the irish history the irish countryside i would say my favorite moment riding and i know we're both going to say the same thing uh, was the finale of the trip on the fifth day you are on the coast on the Wild Atlantic coast, and we are riding literally on the beach in the water uh, at low tide, crossing over to a- an island called Horse Island. And it was the most incredible scenery, epic, epic ride on uh, the first week, unfortunately, the it was very cold with gale force winds. So the weather was brutal, but everyone wanted to ride on the coast anyway, and we did, and it was beautiful. The end of the second week, we got to ride on the coast again, and the weather was exceptional. It was sunny, hardly a a wind. Uh, The tide wasn't as low, so we didn't get to do everything that we did the, the time before, Uh, But both those rides were so epic, And, and particularly on the second one when the weather was so beautiful, I couldn't help but have this feeling that so, so few people in the whole world ever have a riding experience like that on the wild Atlantic coast of Ireland with, you know, fishermen and fishing nets in the background and just incredible. And so that definitely was the highlight of the riding for me. And then T, I know you probably agree that that was the highlight as well, but maybe you could
1: say what your second favorite thing was. <laughs> well, definitely that was a highlight. I mean, that was just remarkable, both in the gale force winds and in the bright sunshine. Uh, I loved it. Um, I my, my second favorite, I would say, was riding around the property of Ballina Hinch Castle with the horses, and it was a former, I mean, it was a huge portion of Connemara used to belong to whoever it was that built that castle. And so riding on those castle grounds was just beautiful. It was a very high end resort that the castles turned into now. And we finished off and went inside and had delicious chowder and warmed up and the the grounds there were just beautiful. But I will say also along the same lines, there was, um, the second week I really enjoyed my young horse. I switched horses the second week and, uh, Oh, really, really had a great time riding that handsome little boy, and it was a lot of fun. And in fact, um, I, she had me up at the front of the line a lot of the time because, um, but because of the horse switches, and he was kind of a, a better leader than some of the others. So I did feel like I was, you know, working for my money there. Uh, leading out those tour, <laughs> tour <laughs>
0: tours. <laughs> you were We were both working for our money on the, um, saddling and unsaddling and all of that yeah. and just trail guiding. But, you know, uh, another reason I couldn't ask for a better assistant because you've done so much of that in your career. And, uh, you know, you definitely build a unique skill set when you guide trail rides. <laughs> and um, so that was funny. So I, I stayed in the back of the ride almost all the time. We did have, you know, some, oh, well, really in both groups, some riders that we wanted to stay close to in order to assist them should they need it. Um, and so you and I didn't get to ride together that much. And I will say you got the uh, good end of the deal on the best horses to ride because that was a sweet <laughs> horse you were riding on the second week. And I kind of just ended up with uh, any anybody... Anytime anybody had a little trouble with the horse, they ended up uh, with me. So um, <laughs> I was switching horses a lot. And uh, But the last ride we did, the, the sunny day on the coast, I had, was it Henry, I think? And um, no, no, one Henry. It was a horse we hadn't used the whole time because he had had
1: oh, uh, yeah. a back
0: problem. And, um, and he's... Festy. Yeah. He's actually one of her cream puff horses um, that hadn't been used because he was recuperating. She thought it'd be better if I rode him. So I did get to ride a super cream puff horse on that last ride. So that was fun. We, uh, we had a great time. The horses were great. We saw one of the top stallions in the country, Connemara stallions. Um, We got to see one of his prized colts Um, a lot of young horses. So, you know, Connemara Equestrian Escapes offers riding tours every year, May through October. And of course, her riding tours are uh, open to anyone. You don't have to wait for me to go on a trip. Anyone can go on these trips and just Google Connemara Equestrian Escapes and you can find out more information. Now, I think T and I had such a great time that we've already been talking about when we want to go back. And I don't know when that's going to be, but I'd like to go back again eventually. How about you, T? Yeah,
1: I'm, uh, I'm hoping to go back maybe even before that happens. So uh, I, really, I really loved it there. That's my kind of place, my kind of people. Dogs, countryside, horses, and pubs. (laughs) Yes, there is a long waiting list for
0: uh, my clinics, which remain unscheduled at this point. But be sure to check out Connemara Equestrian Tours. Maybe look into traveling there if Ireland is something that is on your bucket list, as it is for many people. Well, speaking of riding really great horses, T. Cody, uh, let's talk a little bit about your new horse. And you know, I think it's pretty interesting. The whole journey you went through in deciding what kind of horse you wanted and finding that horse, you know, this last couple of years, the horse market was already kind of tight pre-pandemic, and then all of a sudden we were inundated with people wanting to buy horses at a time when there really uh, weren't that many uh, well-trained horses available for sale, and all of a sudden everybody because of the pandemic and the shutdown, wants a horse. So that really put a lot of pressure on an already stressed out market. I can't remember. Did you start looking for a horse before the shutdown or was yours
1: post-pandemic? No, it was post-pandemic. I've, I've been horseless for about five years and I was really waiting for, um, well, waiting for a lot of things, having done it as, a, a, as my work and my horses were always less than horses. They had to work for me. I knew when it was time to get a horse again, I was going to have my horse for me to do what I wanted. So I had to figure out what that was. And, Which, by um, the way,
0: I highly recommend.
1: <laughs> yes, yes. I have found that uh, to be, it's, it's very, very rewarding to to be able to focus on something like that. But you know, again, I had to figure out what that was. You know, what I wanted to do, um, what was the the horse going to be? And and the another thing that I have discovered, and I remember you telling me this once too, quite a while ago, is everybody dreams of having their horses at their house, so they could go out in their pajamas and feed their horse in the morning or go check on them at night. But then it becomes isolating when you have your horse home, and you know, so you don't have people to ride with. It's, it's, it does matter where you keep your horse and what the facilities like and what you have access to. And, and I knew that. Absolutely. And that was really what kept me um, out of buying a horse for several years is not having the right place where I really wanted to pay that kind of a money, that kind of money to board and not really love being there. So um, I put that on hold for a while, but then when the pandemic started, I, I, I think I just found this sale online or like a video of this horse for sale. And I saw what the sale was. We didn't have a lot to do. So I kind of just researched all these horses, you know, nowadays you get uh, on these uh, online sales, there's a 20, 20 minute video of each horse doing all kinds of things that, you know, so you can kind of get to know them pretty well. It piques your interest and So I got to know every horse in that sale. And I watched that sale on my computer and just had the greatest time imagining like, oh, I could have afforded that one. And which was not a lot of them, I must say. But then I also (laughs) saw the prices going up. And I did notice that there were a lot of draft crosses. And that was something I was interested in. I kind of wanted to get a draft cross. I wanted a bigger horse. And I wanted to focus on uh, English disciplines and mainly dressage to improve my riding. So um, I noticed there were quite a few available. And the other thing that was important to me as I started to figure out wanting uh, wanting to be uh, yeah, like, okay, time's coming up, is I wanted a ranch started horse. So I really wanted a horse that had started his life working, you know, Cowboys started him working out in the fields, working in the arena, used to ropes, cows, lots of hustle and and bustle. And why was that if what you wanted was an English horse? Because I think that really put, first of all, I feel like you may, it preserves a lot of field maybe in the horse uh, in the beginning when they uh, are started in a Western style of riding um, and they have exposure to just so many more things.
0: Okay, I'm going to drill down on that because you said it preserves a lot of feel. I had to think for a moment what you meant. And I, meaning that the horses are not generally ridden on contact, certainly not on heavy contact. Uh, they're given a lot more freedom to figure out their own balance, figure out how to put their feet where they need to be, not over managed by the rider. Because the rider's generally doing a separate task.
1: Is that what you mean by preserving feel? That's, that's what I mean. That's what I mean. And so I feel like um, it's, a, it's a slower start in some ways for these horses, but it's also a more, you know, a broader start having access to all of these activities that they're doing and what they're expected to do riding across all the country and all that. And then you know, that horse can go on to do whatever he needs to do and he could stay a ranch horse, he could become a trail horse and he could go on and be a hunter jumper or Western dressage or whatever he needs to, to be. But um that is also part, that's just my, that's my opinion and what I've seen and what I've been around and um kind of just what I thought that was kind of the road I was going along. So
0: you were watching hours and hours and hours of videos and you were, these were real horse sales that were going on that allowed online bidding. So you could have attended any of these sales in person if you wanted to, right? The
1: first one was um, just barely, it was in um, Texas, and it was barely when it, anything had opened yet. So there, you could attend, but there was hardly anyone in the audience at all. Oh, so I most see, of it because was of the shutdown. Online. Shutdown, oh, yeah. Oh, right. Yeah. Yeah. I forgot yeah. about that. Yeah, so that was why well that was why I had so much time to be get hooked into it. So yeah. by the beginning of so I spent, you know, a lot of time just kind of watching what was happening and by the beginning of 2022, I guess that's where we are this year, um I started um looking online um uh, making lists of horses and of course Florida where I live is horse country. You should be able to have access to many many horses that are for sale, but what I found as you know, we had just come through the pandemic. It's just horses were still just being snatched up left and right. Even if by the time I could contact somebody that I found online to schedule a ride, we would schedule it maybe for three days ahead. And the next day I'd get a call and say, someone came today and they're going to vet checking and taking this horse. So it was, it was challenging.
0: That's really frustrating. You, when you're searching and searching and you finally think you found the horse. And either it gets snatched out from under you or it flunks a vet check.
1: Did you have any of those or did you even get that close? No, I didn't get, I didn't get that close to any, 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 the vet, the only vet check that I did, um, was my horse that I bought, but the, I did bid on several horses at different sales too. Um, so. And the
0: ones you bid on, you would have, um, been buying them without a vet check if you had
1: won the bid? Um, Some of them, some of them will have, uh, they have them with them already. So each one is different. Like the, this particular um, sale house does not require it, but a lot of the people did have them available prior to. And so they have like three days set up where you can come and there's the you know they they do a little bit. You get fifteen minutes in the arena, and they bring the horses in to do all of their tricks and everything. And oh boy, can they all do tricks now and everything? And <laughs> they are all That's bomb worth an extra ten thousand dollars. <laughs> yeah, yeah. If you can, if you you know, if it, three seven year olds can hop on it and take the bridle off, or your dog can lead by the reins out of the arena. I mean, just it's just crazy. But you <laughs> you really do have to uh, be there, and then. I mean, that's what I thought at this time. You have to be there. You have to try them out. So I tried out a bunch of horses, met a lot of the trainers and the sellers. And I found out that they um, go to several of these other sales along the way. So I kind of felt like I got to know, you know, have some faith the in, how, in the players and, and who who I really liked. And then I could see things that maybe I I wasn't definitely not going to buy any of their horses and um in fact I did meet um uh the couple that Rich your husband Rich bought his horse from Casper oh, and yeah. um yeah oh, and they, they saw had a lot of nice horses, horses. Mm-hmm, yeah. really nice horses yeah yeah and um so that helped in knowing them and then I got a then I just got a list of all these sales and some smaller sales I thought oh I'm going to go to a little ranch sale in Salmon Idaho because it's you know it's, I'm going to sneak in there and I'm going to get a good deal. Nobody else will um, know about it. (laughs) (laughs) Nobody else will And really that, and that one's actually fun. I think (laughs) that the sellers really love that sale. It's kind of a little bit, you know, down home. It's pretty big. But the funny thing is the horse I was sure I was going to get this. He was a 16 hand, uh, blue roan, real narrow, tall quarter horse, 10 years old. Ranch Uh, started all the things. I remember that
0: one. (laughs) Yeah.
1: (laughs) Well, I was sure I was going to get him. It's very nerve wracking, you know, making those commitments. But um, anyway, the one thing about a remote sale is their internet comes and goes. So in the middle of me, it it should have been a sign that on the first day, because I I couldn't go to the sale in person. um, The first day when they showed online their performance, the video cut out when my, that one horse before my horse was going. That's a sign. I didn't get to see him. So, well, I still wanted him. So, on the day of bidding, I was going, okay, you know, you you have a list, and you have to decide if you're going to put it all out on the earlier one, or you know, but you really want the later one. All of that, the logistics of that, are are very nerve wracking. The internet cut out in the middle of bidding on my horse, and by the time it popped back on, he'd been sold. So, (laughs) there was just all kinds of, you know, it was just a a process of just many things. I've got sheets. um, In fact, in the notebook that I was kind of jotting down some notes for this today and I pulled it, I opened it and I had three pages of the sales and all the horses that I had and the notes and the numbers and everything. So, it was was a process for a while.
0: Well, going to sales is a lot of fun and looking at all the different horses. We love that. In fact, Rich and I are um, going to the cutting horse futurity sales, just because we like looking at horse sales so much, we like being at horse sales and looking at horses. But yeah, online bidding, um, particularly bidding on sight unseen on horses, is highly risky. I mean, you didn't get the horse; might may have sold for more than you could pay anyway. But it's highly risky just in terms of being able to actually execute a purchase. But also buying a horse sight unseen is, um, you know, it's just really not the ideal. And it's far better if you can attend the sale in person. And but even then, the other thing that, of course, you have to keep in mind is that everybody that's looking at horses likes the same horses. So we all have the top, you know, five or 10 horses are the same on everybody's list. So that's what the great thing for sellers, if they have one of those horses, uh, they know the price is going to be run up. So I think it's important to always have your, you know, when you go to some of these performance horse sales and a whole lot of the horses in the sale meet your criteria, uh, make sure you have a full range of horses that you would be willing to bid on because chances of you getting the top ones are probably not very good unless you have an unlimited resources in the in the banking department yeah that's true so after all that uh you you finally ended up buying a horse private treaty is that right
1: private treaty and i actually had come across him earlier quite earlier and he he just she, she did not put great pictures of him up and i was there was something about him, but he just looked like this big, dopey, hairy draft horse. And she, like, <laughs> his head was too big and his feet were too big and he, he wasn't clipped. And I, just all of these pictures were like, I'm like, really, I don't know. But then she she was really, I really enjoyed talking to her. She had raised him. Felt like she answered the questions really honestly. And she wasn't, she knew what she was talking about and she was telling me the good and the bad and things. And so I just kind of kept coming back to him a little bit. And as I was running out of options and kind of getting a little bit more specific and realizing that I really probably wasn't going to find a great deal on any horse I was going to have to commit to pain, (laughs) you know, the days Um, of great deals are over. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. So I, once I got past that, I, um, I, you know, I talked to her a couple of times and she had, she would send like more updated pictures. And every once in a while there'd be a picture and I'd be like, Oh wait, is that him? He looks pretty good there. So we, we, <laughs> and he, he was at the trainers. Um, he was at a, like a, a little, a, a cowboy trainer who started young horses. And she sent me a video of him loping big circles in the arena. And, you know, so he was there for 60 days and, When she finally got him back, I said, well, why don't you, let's FaceTime and let me see you, you know, doing some, some moving him around, doing some groundwork or whatnot. And then I could see him. He was lovely. He was adorable. He moved beautifully. Um, He had a really great gait. Um, They're not sure. They think that his uh, the dam is a um, Dutch harness horse is their best guess, but they definitely know that the uh, sire is a Clydesdale. And he looks like a Clydesdale. He just looks exactly like a Clydesdale. He does. (laughs) But um, I talked to you. I said, how can I buy a horse if I don't go see him? You know, it was just very, you add so much more money when you fly, you go see him, you ride, you know, all of that stuff. And I just, my time was short. Where was the horse? He was in Indiana. I mean, and that's what it was. I was either going to drive to New Mexico to try a horse. I was going to drive to, you know, Idaho to try a horse. You know, it was going to be something. And I asked you and you in your very calm, you know, just blunt, <laughs> collected way of knowledge I said, well, you know, no, it's not the dumbest thing to buy a horse that you haven't gone and seen in person. You know, there's no guarantees anyway. And we talked about it. But the best thing that you told me is just imagine just you're just going to have to take it that he's green. If you're buying this horse, he's green. You can't have any expectations of any training on him. And that was the best thing you told me. So I came to my decision that way and I watched. So I made her an offer and we watched, we FaceTimed with the vet check and the vet had really, the vet had never seen him before. And she had some really nice things to say about him. And um, so. In terms of his temperament. His movement and his temperament. And um, I really liked the groundwork that she did, you know, she had to do a lot of, you know, lunging and things like that and handling. And I just kind of, I, I told you he reminded me of your horse pepperoni with that sort of silly, friendly, you know, doofy. kind of mischievous, little doofy personality. Engaged. And to have that. Yeah. 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 So I kind of liked that. So anyway, I did, I, I bought a horse and then I kind of had a heart attack. Like, Oh my gosh, I bought a horse I've never seen and never ridden. Um, and then yeah. you had to wait to get him on
0: some kind of shipping arranged. And, yeah, yeah. Uh, well, this was like in
1: April of 2022. April 2022. I was with you at Sea Lazy U and trying to arrange uh, travel for him, and it kept falling falling through. And um, that's a little nerve-wracking, too, if you don't have somebody that you know personally. That a horse you don't
0: know. horse you don't picking know. Picking up. Uh, a transporter you don't know, right. picking the horse up from a seller you've never actually met face to face. Exactly. What could go wrong?
1: No, I and know. Then, so, and has got
0: to be trucked across the country, halfway across the country. And yeah, and on top of that, it's going to cost you a lot of money. So you, you,
1: you're really good at logistics and you got it figured out. <laughs> Thank you. But it, it some, took like a couple health. of weeks, right? It did. It took it took some time. You have to wait to see if they can fit you on that um, their route when they're going. So anyway, the, the other part of this was the countdown to me leaving for a month, which I do in June every year and go to Colorado. And ideally, I was going to purchase a horse I could take to Colorado with me to ride in the mountains because that's great experience for him. But he was not ready for that. And uh, he had never had shoes. He was green. It would. He was not ready to go for that. So by the time I got him to Florida, I had three weeks with him before I was leaving for a month. So I was a little bit worried, you know, panicked about what I was going to do with him. But I found, um, I looked around, it, it's kind of slim pickings in the area that I live, also last minute. And I found somebody, a trainer, who not only did I know and respect and really uh, feel really confident in, um, she was able to make space for me at the very last minute, and she did that as a favor to me as uh, she had a long waiting list, but she said she would like to be helpful of local local horse professionals she she likes to say and um she has uh, uh her her name is Marsha Hartford Sapp and she is um a very decorated uh dressage rider western dressage as well, and she's won the uh, extreme Mustang makeover several times. And so I felt like she had a good balance of... <laughs> yeah, pretty, good, pretty well qualified there. Well qualified, yeah. Yeah. Like, uh, you know, covering all the bases. And um, even though I've lived in the same town as her for a long time, I really don't know her or very well. Just I hear her name all the time and knew all of her accomplishments. Um, but... Uh, Long story short, I'm still there with her and um, I have had to travel here and there, Ireland and all these places. So it's been a little spotty for me creating a consistency riding him, but she's given it to him and um, I'm really happy. I, I was I think I told you two days ago. I got on and had the best ride that I've had and just all of the worries and the concerns and the, am am I doing this right or anything just kind of fell into place. And I just felt, uh, I felt really lucky and help, um, I guess helped is not the word, but guided and that I was, uh, ended up in the right place and had made the right choices and pretty happy about where we are.
0: Well, that's nice. And it's, you know, to find a trainer that you trust who's taking good care of your horse while you're traveling and while you're away on work trips, then when you do have that time to devote to riding the horse, you can jump right in there and move forward with the horse. But I think it's also really important that you recognize that this horse needs at, what what is he four years old coming to five? He's five.
1: He's five. When he arrived, he just turned five. Yeah.
0: So he's coming six, but very gre- very green. Just you know had sixty days on him of riding. So if you are going to buy a young untrained horse, it's important that you have the resources to put into that horse. Um, if you can't be there day in and day out, if you can't be the one providing the training that that horse needs to develop the horse every day in a positive direction, then you probably shouldn't be looking at a horse that young. So I think it's, even though you certainly have the qualifications to be training this horse from zero to finish, um, your life situation and your work situation was such that you weren't going to have the time to devote to it and and so you knew, recognize it was important for the horse that his development his training continues and uh, so that was kind of uh, a good way that that all came together
1: so what are you working on now yeah so he gets ridden in the morning she rides him in the mornings and I go uh, after in the afternoon and so he'll get a second little ride with me and if she's available which she is Often, I don't know how she does it all, but off she is often available and if she sees me there, she'll just throw on some headphones and hand me some headphones and just go sit with me for 15 minutes while I ride and tell me what she worked on or what she feels and um, so that's really helpful to me. So I did I had a couple of questions. you know, I, I reached out to you a lot in the beginning of this. you know I wanted to I wanted to get a horse. I could ride dressage and learn how to ride dressage terrible idea because you're not both green at the same time. (laughs) I know that, but this is where we ended up. And so I was a little worried about putting him straight into dressage training, you know, as a green horse and, and lots of contact and lots of, you know, lots, just lots. And then for it being new to me, When I am asking or curious about the type of uh, head stall or bridle or tack and things like that, I'm asking people who are specifically dressage riders, dressage instructors, dressage trainers, whereas when I ask you a question, you uh, come at it as a horsemanship perspective uh, in the answer. And like you always say, it doesn't matter what clothes you put on the horse, it's all riding. And so I want to know why do I need a flash on him if he's just started riding or I don't really think I want I'd like to use this bit. And I was told, well, that's probably not the bit. And I was like, but I would really like to use this bit. (laughs) And um, but still being, you know, I was I'm green to it all. And so I had a lot of questions that I just wish that I could have you just come sit in my arena and uh, answer them for me.
0: Well, you know, I'd be happy to. Um, <laughs> I'll, I'll, I'll put that on my calendar. But <laughs> I think that, yes, and I like to say that I've, I, I'm such a proponent of cro- cross-discipline training for that very reason. I I've learned so much on the Western side of things. I grew up writing English very. Uh, classical in training, very dressage oriented, um, but riding jumpers. And I learned a lot there. And then I learned a lot on the Western side of things. And I I believe that you have a greater ability to pick and choose. Um, At the end of the day, there should not be a difference in how a green horse is trained for dressage or any other endeavor. Because classical horsemanship, of all things, demands that we give a horse strong foundational training and a good, solid progression in its training. And that's what we should want for all horses. Now, it it is true that when we get so singularly focused on one discipline that our, our sights get much smaller and our consideration of outside ideas gets smaller as well, it makes me sad that we equate dressage training with heavy contact, because it doesn't have to be that way. Um, And also, in, in the true nature of classical training and the classical development of a horse, dressage or other horses um, that use classical training, the horse would learn to balance itself long before the rider started interfering with the balance of the horse through heavy contact. That's exactly what you were referring to when you said to preserve, what did you, to preserve feel. Um, So when you give a horse the freedom of his head, he learns to carry himself and balance himself and the rider. So you have to go with the trainer whose opinion you trust and whose skills you value. But when you get this horse home and you're making your own decisions, um, I think you can do it
1: your way. And I think you'll you'll do it in a more mindful way. When I took him home, I had to like go backwards. I told you I was unpeeling the onion. I had to find a place where I could ride him. how I felt comfortable riding him. And it just went to just finding the feel, finding my seat. And then, kind of taking it in slowly, having meaning to it, and maybe that's the only thing I know how to do, and I know the difference of what it should, what it can feel like. That's the thing: is what it can feel like, as opposed to what a lot of people are feeling. That's the only thing I worked on, and I just, and I, and now I feel like everything else he's building on top of that too, and it's helped him a lot. But that was important to me.
0: Well, you know, you have to uh, have faith in your own knowledge and ability level, because you, and you have a lot of it. And you do have to take the horse back to some common ground. I mean, just mm-hmm. because the trainers are riding the horses and doing certain things with the horses, you still have to find your common ground and your common dialogue with the horse. And at the end of the day, you want to develop this horse for you. And you have some pretty well-framed, ideas of what you want your horse to be. And you're taking advantage of these incredible trainers and the opportunity that you've had there, but you're also taking responsibility for that horse's overall development and developing that horse in a way that's consistent with the way that you want to ride and the way you want your horsemanship to go. So you're doing all of that and you just need to have more confidence in it, and and I you know it's hard after you were out of horses for five years. That didn't help either. I'm sure you're coming back, going, well, "How did I do this?" <laughs> um, yeah. <laughs> but you, there again, when self doubt creeps in, things rarely go well with horses. So you need to make sure that you. Uh, we all have moments of self self doubt in our lives, and in particular in our horse lives because they are challenging animals. And so it's important how you deal with those moments of self-doubt and you remind yourself, oh yeah, and I do have the ability to ride and train this horse. And oh yeah, he is my horse and I'm responsible for him. And I'm responsible for the decisions that are made about his training and the methods and techniques um, that I use and that also any trainer I put this horse in the care of uses and and you've done all that, and I think you're gonna see it pay off, like you've only had the horse what six months now, yeah, and a good two solid months of that you've been on the road or 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 gone away, so this yeah. relationship is just beginning, and that's the fun, right? It's the developing of the relationship that is is the fun part, so. I know you're going to have a good time with this horse and I appreciate you sharing your journey and we'll have to get you back again another time and get some updates.
1: Well, you have to post a picture of him too when we do the updates because you got to see what the big galoot looks like.
0: (laughs) Well, we will for sure put some pictures in the show notes. We're going to add some pictures from our Ireland trip. And uh, in particular, we have a beautiful picture of us riding Connemara ponies, in the uh, ocean on the wild atlantic coast of ireland so we'll post that too yeah. so thank you t cody for joining me today on my podcast it's been a blast to talk again and i can't wait for our next
1: adventure together thank you for having me julie i hope that in- adventure uh, involves colorado and riding your fun horses that you have right there <laughs> and thank you for uh, bringing me along okay well you know the door's always open
0: So that's all we have time for today, folks. Again, I want to thank my pal T. Cody, not only for going with me to Ireland, but for being a lot of fun and such an amazing horsewoman. And I thank you, my loyal listeners, as well. I love sharing my horse care and training experience with you. And I appreciate all your feedback, suggestions, and questions. I'd love to hear what topics interest you the most. So if you have questions for What the Hay or podcast topics you'd like me to address, Please message me on Facebook at Julie Goodnight or email podcast at juliegoodnight.com. Ride On with Julie Goodnight is available wherever you listen to podcasts. Remember to subscribe so you won't miss a single episode and invite your equestrian friends to join us. If you like the show, head over to Apple Podcasts to rate and review. It means a lot to me and it helps new listeners find the podcast. And don't forget to check out my online membership programs. You'll find the solutions you need when you need them. Just go to juliegoodnight.com slash join and start your ride. Next month, we'll get back to our normal format with a horsemanship lesson from me. Plus, I'll answer questions from our listeners, no matter where you are in your horsemanship journey, whether you're new to horses or an old hand, whether you're training a green horse or refining your upper level skills. I hope you found some helpful information here to make your horse life better. Thanks again for your insightful comments and for the five-star ratings. I'm Julie Goodnight. Thank you for listening and please stay safe and enjoy the ride.